OT Unscripted is an occupational therapy assistance perspective aiming to have honest conversations about the realities of working as an OT practitioner in traditional medical settings, as well as highlight the role of the occupational therapy assistant in practice. Our podcast was inspired by those conversations you have with close friends and coworkers about the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of OT practice that aren't always openly discussed. Welcome to OT Unscripted. My name is Yolanda Ortiz, and I'm an occupational therapy assistant. My name is Lauren Jones, and I'm an occupational therapist. Uh, Lauren and I both work at a local hospital in acute care, and we've been working together for about a year now. And um, the reason why you this podcast is is being created right now is because we were realizing that we had um, we were having frequent conversations before, during, after work, on the phone, texting, just frequently, you know, having perfectly honest, kind of griping about some things and just kind of realizing that there wasn't a lot of avenues um, that were bringing to light some of the challenges that we were, um, that we were facing in our, our current work setting. And we thought, well, why not us kind of be the ones to kind of start talking about some of these things and see if it is something that's useful for people. So during this first episode, we thought we would kind of introduce ourselves so that you all can get to know us a little bit better and find out about our backgrounds and our interests, and then kind of go into um, some more specific topics. Um, uh, Our first episode will kind of focus on OT and acute care, in particular um, an OT and OTA relationship as as we experience it, um, but I uh, I graduated from an, the occupational therapy assistant program in Durham at Durham Tech, and I've been practicing for over two years now. I, I started out in a skilled nursing facility, and then I transitioned into acute care. But I really am um, interested in non-traditional practice and community-based practice. I have a fitness background. I teach I teach group fitness classes, and I've always been. Um, I've always been inspired and, and, and involved with some kind of health and wellness aspect, and that's the kind of the route that I've been most drawn to in my in my practice so far. I'm Lauren Jones, and I got into this because my coworker Yolanda here roped me into doing this podcast. Just kidding. I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, but a little bit about me. I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill. Like Yolanda, I'm also a pretty new grad. I've been working at the hospital with her for about a year now, which has been a great learning experience. In the past, I've worked in school settings. I've been in skilled nursing settings and also a community-based mental health setting working with the state. Um, professionally, I work with the North Carolina OT Association, AOTA, and other local groups to encourage education and dialogue about OT issues. And just as I, as you were going through all those all those points about yourself, I was kind of thinking about when you were interviewing and how I was like, and Lauren's one of those people that probably makes you feel a little bit bad about yourself and all the things that you haven't done yet. Because I was like, man, she's done so much, and like. I've been really inspired by like being able to be around you and kind of learn from your experiences and kind of um, there's definitely been times where you've pushed me to do things as far as like joining professional organizations and applying for stuff. So um, this relationship proof that bullying does work, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but and so it's been it's been really great to she. It was really great when Lauren came on because I was really kind of starving for. 
an OT relationship with someone that had similar interests as I did and someone that was, like, willing and open to kind of developing the relationship a little bit more and someone that was kind of, you know, I think we've kind of started to be more or less mentors and mentorees mentorees to each other um, unofficially, and it's been kind of something that's happened really organically, which has been kind of cool. Um, But, you know, we wanted to kind of start with occupational therapy and acute care because, you know, as, as new practitioners, we, and especially together in the last year or so, we've really kind of experienced this setting for the first time together. And I, you know, we've, I think a lot of times found our, found, found ourselves kind of like shaking our hands and feeling like we're screaming into the void about some things. So we wanted to focus our first session on, on, on occupational therapy and acute care and just some of the challenges and realities and kind of day-to-day nitty-gritty stuff that maybe doesn't always get talked about. So the rest of today's episode is going to be dedicated to a discussion about what goes on in acute care, our experience as an OT, OTA team in acute care, the challenges we face, and also just some of the things that make acute care a unique setting, um, what we like about it, and things that we're hoping to be able to do in the future where we work. So with that said... Basically, OT's role in acute care is described by AOTA as having a holistic view of recovery. So I feel, and Yolanda may feel free to agree or disagree, that the idea of OT and acute care being a discipline that has a holistic view of recovery is the ideal, but it's not always real. So I find that a lot of OTs in acute care are really just focused on the next day. Can you get to the toilet? Can you get out of bed? Can you put on your socks? Can you adhere to these precautions? Which is huge. That's obviously why I'm here. That's why I'm getting paid to work with these people as a skilled clinician, to teach them how to move safely, how to take care of themselves, how to do things that are important to them. But I think OTs in this setting tend to get so narrowly focused on the day-to-day, in-and-out interventions that we really can't take a step back and look at where is this person at in the healthcare system? What is their health literacy? You know, have they been to the hospital every week for the past two years? What is their discharge plan beyond just the next day? Are they going home? I mean, if you send somebody home without having addressed bigger picture issues as far as, yes, you did a medication management goal, for example, and taught them how to use a pillbox, but that's not really going to get at the heart of the fact that They don't have access to getting their medication at the pharmacy or they don't have enough money. Maybe you skip that in your interview and just focused on the actual IADL, but not so much the context in which it was happening and the actual problems that are leading to them being in the hospital. So basically what I do every day as an OT in acute care, I come to the hospital in the morning, another team member, manager has made my list of patients, so I take a look at it, see which floors patients are on, what conditions, review a couple of charts, and basically hit the floor and hope for the best. Because in acute care, the one thing I can say is that you have no idea what's coming. Every time you open a door and walk into a patient room, you don't know if they're going to be bleeding, you don't know if they're going to be throwing up, you don't know if their family's going to be having a fight that has actually happened and security had to be called. So at least I can say there's never a dull day. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, as an assistant, I'm the only assistant where, where I work, and so I work with, we have like five 
OTs now. Yeah, I think there's five of us. And on the horizon, another another uh, full-time OT coming on board. So I have multiple OTs that I follow up on patients with, and I think, you know, there's, you know, to what Lauren was saying earlier about, you know, just kind of thinking about the next day, like, I, I think that's kind of where the value of, of assistance can kind of play in because we are the ones that end up following up. The therapist may not be the one following up. And so if people end up lingering, which, at, you know, even though it's acute care stays are short, there are several, you know, instances that, like, that it's common that people end up staying more than just a few days. And then the assistant is kind of following up. And I think that, you know, for me, I've been, I can, I can then start to see where, I get I get new information and I get to know the patient and I can kind of relay that back to the to the therapist to kind of um, you know see if there's anything else that we can address in that setting. But you know, and similar similarly to to Lauren, my days start with uh, my list being created. And I usually start with about seven people on my list, um, and I kind of go all over the place in the hospital. I see just about anyone, everyone. Um, but I primarily see people on the neuro floor, so that includes a lot of um, folks that have had strokes and, you know, are post-spinal surgeries, um, you know, maybe have had some kind of fall with a, you know, with a, you know, a hit, a hit to the head where they, maybe they're, they've had a hemorrhage. Um, and I'm also on the ortho floor for, um, you know, the hip replacements, the knee replacements. And so typically I have kind of a combination of patients from those floors and then a little bit, uh, you know, scattered about the, the hospital and on, in other units. And like Lauren said, you, I mean, you just hope for the best. You, you kind of have a general idea of how you're going to start off with. You prioritize based on information that may or may not have changed from like five minutes ago or, you know, <laughs> I mean, like it can literally, you know, you could log onto the computer at the next minute and something has, has changed. So, um, you know, and that, that makes it kind of a challenge because everything's kind of unpredictable and, you know, plans always change and, you know, you kind of have to be flexible in, in that regard. And, um, you know, I think another piece in acute care for me is that, you know, coming from a skilled nursing facility, you know, you're in a gym and you see other people working with patients and in acute care, you know, everyone's in, in, in the patient's room. Very rarely are we getting people in the gym unless we're doing, you know, some tub, tub transfer training or stair training, um, or see, like seeing physical therapy and, and they're doing stair training. Um, so it can get kind of, um, lonely to you know on on that on that end and just kind of easy to kind of get into the the okay let's just focus on the next day or the your the the kind of priority things um because you're not really excuse me you're not really engaged with your other your other kind of teammates in that in the same way that you are in maybe like a, a rehab setting and I don't know Lauren if you kind of yeah, I mean, I definitely way. say that. That was one of the reasons I worked in the schools before coming <laughs> to the hospital. And for me, that was one of the reasons why being in the school system just wasn't a good fit for me at all. I was so isolated. I mean, I would go to my schools. I was in four schools at the time and seeing one student at his house. And I'd go to my schools, be there all day, see kids in the classrooms. And every couple of weeks, we had these um, professional learning team meetings, which were really my favorite part of those weeks, getting to actually see other therapists and talk about the kids I was seeing and what I was doing and what questions I had, especially as a new grad in that setting. So I definitely think that being in acute care as a new grad can be daunting because, like Yolanda was saying, you do 
do a lot of things on your own and there is a lot of responsibility. There aren't really people looking over your shoulder, but there's also the chance to be part of a larger team, work with physical therapy, work with speech, collaborate with nursing or psychiatry or other, you know, disciplines while you're at the hospital. So the camaraderie that I have at the hospital is one of my favorite aspects of the job. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel the same way because at the skilled nursing facility that I came from, our team was small as far as OT. It was myself, and then I had one OT, and then there was a PT and a PTA, and then one speech therapist. So, it, it you know, we saw each other all the time in the gym, <clears throat> but as far as, you know, kind of growing in in regards to, like, OT, like, cl- like clinically – it, I didn't have as much exposure, so it's kind of nice to have like a large, a larger team, and and kind of different styles and different personalities, which can also be a challenge at times because you are not everyone, you know, has the same perspective going into a room when they're doing their evals, and as the assistant, you're kind of you have to kind of kind of adapt to and learn how to kind of follow up with different with different therapists and, and kind of understand like their their process and their lingo that they use in their evals or their kind of reasoning behind things and that really requires a lot of um a lot of interaction whether it's throughout the day or maybe in meetings or you know however that kind of ends up playing out in, in the setting but it's like it's super it, it's super important as an assistant working with multiple therapists, especially in an acute care setting, because things change so quickly. And Yeah, so some of the solutions that we've come up with as a team and working with uh, Yolanda as the OT assistant to improve that communication and efficiency is starting a group chat. So our team uses an app called WhatsApp. And you can use it across any phone, iPhone, Android, any network, anything like that. Um, And we communicate about patients. So if we're asking her to pick up a patient that we've evaluated, you know, we can give her the information really quickly. Everything is HIPAA safe. There's no patient names. We only use room numbers um, to discuss the patients. Something else that we do um, that we've started using recently is a goal bank. So you can write your own goals, certainly, as a clinician, the evaluating therapist. But Yolanda's agree that having a goal bank of goals that are clear, um, we've all approved that are that hit all the SMART goal aspects. They're specific, they're measurable, they're achievable, realistic, and time-limited. It's something that makes it easier for her to follow up on, easy for us to do when we're writing evaluations. We don't really have to waste time because time is of the essence all the time in acute care. You're either trying to get an eval in before somebody discharges or you're trying to beat them before the x-ray tech comes or you're trying to beat physical therapy or speech or before their next dose of medication or after their next dose of medication. So hitting the right window isn't always possible. But when you can save time, it's really a great tool. So using those goal banks is a way that we can address things and make it a smoother transition when Yolanda has patients that she's following up on with us. Um, That's something that Yolanda, do you think it's been working out? Yeah, and that's that's definitely been helpful because, again, just with different with so many different OTs, it's nice to have some kind of like standard component to it where, like, the, yes, these are the goals that are measurable, and it makes it much easier when it comes time for me or whoever's following up to kind of document against it, and then again to kind of save save some time on kind of knowing what you need to write and being able to just kind of move on. Um, and then, like another another thing that we do, which not a, depending on what kind of EMR um, is in place at your at your setting, but we are able to have um, 
like treatment team communication that um, OT, PT, and speech have that we can kind of see um, across across disciplines. So a lot of times we'll put information in there as well as far as you know maybe challenging challenging family dynamic or you know requires you know maybe a plus two um, as far as like a, a rehab aid um, to kind of be there with us for you know, handling purposes or being, having that extra person for safety or because they have a lot of lines or, um, other, other helpful information, you know, if they're on dialysis. So that way it's a little bit easier for us to plan our sessions. If we know that they're going to be on dialysis in the morning, we kind of know they can be, you know, safe for the, for the end of the day or, or kind of even just putting the thought, well, they may not work with us because they might be just completely, you know, pooped out after dialysis. And I mean, and that, that happens a lot. So it kind of helps with scheduling and prioritizing in the morning, um, in the morning as well. Yeah. So some of the key aspects of the OT OTA relationship in acute care are obviously communication all the time, any way you can. So whether it's via text during the day, whether it's face to face meetings, when I happen to run into Yolanda on the floor, whether it's in the patient's chart and the treatment team, just making notes about you know family dynamic, patient energy level, best time to see them, medication scheduling, anything like that that we can do to communicate and just make the process smoother is definitely something that we're working on doing as a team. Um, and we also have um, that's something that our, our um, staff or our team has kind of put into place our, our team leads. And that's been helpful as well. Like where there's one person kind of um, managing a certain, certain units as far as like the patients, um, like the scheduling purposes, a lot of, the team leads kind of function as our point person for any escalations that need to happen or any challenges that might be coming up typically or tr- uh, more frequently on certain units. And so it's nice to kind of have that point person too um, to kind of take any other challenges that might come up um, to kind of, you know, work, work it up the ladder to try to generate some, so, some solutions. So it's like an added support on the floor um, for us as well. So in addition to scheduling, one of the main challenges that we face in our hospital is the constant confusion that we have with, you guessed it, our colleagues in the physical therapy department. So while I love working with the PTs who we see, they do a lot of great things for the patients, um, especially related to early mobility and just generally helping them get mobilized and get out of bed, which we as OT do address as well, is something that we educate our um, nursing and other colleagues on. One of the issues that we face with physical therapy is that our hospital has traditionally been a very PT-focused setting. So PT most often gets consults first, and then a lot of times they're trusted or whatever you want to call it to filter uh, down to us if they think the patient may need an OT consult, which obviously isn't ideal for multiple reasons. In the ideal world, um, nurses and physicians and other people putting in orders would know why to consult occupational therapy, when to consult OT, and what value we could bring to uh, the patients who we see, but that is not always the case. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is you know, physical therapy will go in for an eval first and then kind of communicate with the social worker or the case manager, whoever's kind of the point person for their discharge planning to kind of give their recommendations. And then maybe the next day, you know, OT comes in and perhaps it's a different recommendation because as we know, you know, just because somebody can, you know, walk 150 feet doesn't necessarily mean that they can 
you know, manage themselves at home safely. And so a lot of times um, we kind of end up, you know, maybe coming up with a different recommendation or, you know, we'll see a lot of times in the notes where it's like, oh, PT recommends this, PT recommends that, PT says this, PT says that when in fact that it may have been actually been us that had said something to them. And a lot of times we get mistaken, I feel like, in, in, the, in the notes also as far as, like, who was the one to communicate that information. But then, you know, since PT was able to get in there first, the case manager may have already started some discharge planning, and, you know, it, it becomes a challenge when our recommendations are a little bit different and to kind of explain and educate them on like well why it's important that our recommendation is taken into consideration as well um yeah I think a lot of the issue really comes down to the education component so I found that something that really helps on getting appropriate referrals at the appropriate time because whatever if we get an OT consult or referral the day that somebody is leaving it doesn't really do much for the patient it doesn't really do much for us um so it just kind of is you know, a drop in the bucket, something that really is a day late and a dollar short. Um, And at the end of the day, it's really not about OT being recognized or OT coming before PT because we're all on the team. We're all there to serve the patient, but we can't serve the patient effectively if you, as a nurse or a physician, don't know when to refer or what service to refer for. So some of the things that I found helpful are really kind of personal level interpersonal education campaigns. So talking with nurses that I see frequently about what OT does with patients, why we're different than physical therapy, what other um, things we evaluate for that physical therapy may not evaluate for, like cognition, managing medication, moving around safely in the tub or shower at home, being able to prepare a meal or put clothes on, or, you know, should this person really be driving? Are they able to get to outpatient appointments? You know, things like that that aren't always addressed by our colleagues um, in physical therapy. And, like, this might seem kind of small, but something that I do that I um – that I, whether or not it makes a difference, I'm not really sure, but whenever I call the nurses or um, speak to other clinicians, I say, I, you know, this is Yolanda with occupational therapy. I don't say OT. Um, I think a lot of times that it's just easy enough to kind of hear that, and, and I mean, I can literally say who, like, what department I'm with, and then someone's like, oh, PT's here, and so I really try to focus, like, I make sure I say occupational therapy, even if I have to say it multiple times, and if someone says, oh, PT's in the room, or PT's here to work with you, I correct them, like, I don't just let it go, and not... Yeah, it's awkward, but yeah. definitely needs to happen. And it honestly, a lot of times it ends up kind of opening a door, like, oh, okay, yeah, OT, well, what's the difference? And then there's the, an opportunity there, you know, a lot of times if the patient's there, or if, if it is just with um, staff, it's still an opportunity to kind of kind of give your, like, really quick elevator speech, um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything super in-depth, but even if it's just, like, one piece of information that that person, whether it's the patient or a staff member, can kind of remember or kind of think, oh, well, I didn't know that. And that's a lot of times what we, that kind of reaction we'll get was, is this kind of like, oh, like, I had no idea, and, like, wow, that's they really have cool. two different letters and two different yeah. names, and they do two different things. Who knew? Yeah. Weird, right? <laughs> it's actually not that weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and just, uh, you know, even things that I've kind of run into also calling and calling nurses, this actually just happened the other day, and I said, hey, you know, it's Yolanda with occupational therapy, 
how's this person doing? And, and they were like, oh, great. Like, yeah, they're great to work with. And, you know, is, do, do you, can y'all, do y'all get people up to the chair too? Or is that just physical therapy? And so like these little, these little kind of situations that come up regularly that kind of make you laugh, but also want to make you run into the corner and cry sometimes kind of come up and it's just like, you know, I think it's a, a, a fine line of like picking and choosing when you choose to kind of advocate and educate and you know for me personally sometimes I'm just kind of exhausted and don't necessarily feel like getting into it all the time and and you know I think depending on the unit that you're on or the doctors you're kind of coming involved in contact with you kind of get an idea of who might be more receptive so you kind of can appropriately like divvy out your energy sometimes I know that I mean I know that sounds maybe kind of silly but sometimes it's it's a battle you know that it's not worth fighting yeah it's like sometimes exhausting (laughs) like I I used to go to um rounds on the general medicine unit and that you know it's 30 45 minutes depending on on the day of you know nurses coming in and doctors coming in giving updates on patients and you know, kind of checking you with mobility and discharge needs and stuff like that. And I just, like, it was exhausting for me sometimes to always, oh, what, you know, OT consult, OT consult. It's like I had my, like a, like I was in an auction or something and I was just putting up my little flag of when I wanted to bid on something every time. Like I felt like OT, like OT, like you hear those keywords and no one, no one's bringing it up. And yeah, you hear things like this patient is going home alone or they live alone or they fell and there was no one, you know, to help them or or they're not able to take medication or they're non-compliant with medication. These things that to me as an OT, my ears are burning and I'm thinking, please get us a consult for this person. We desperately need and to then be the seeing this thing, person, and yeah. then they leave. Well, or the <laughs> next thing out of the person, like the whoever is talking, is like, "Oh, well, do, do you think they need a PT consult? Yeah, we'll put a PT consult in." And even though everything that they just may may have mentioned is more of a home safety, potentially cognitive, you know, more like functional, like functional activity stuff, not just a, not necessarily just a um, you know a gait impairments or strength and, and endurance impairments. Like the, like it's all. Um, you know, a little bit more complicated than that, and I, I don't know sometimes if people really, um, I, yeah, I just don't really feel like people really understand that PT doesn't necessarily look at some of the things that speech or OT may end up kind of including. Yeah, and why it's important to have multiple disciplines involved, because certainly... OT wouldn't be able to resolve all the issues that a patient had. No discipline can do that. But it is important that nurses know when to refer, which discipline to refer, things like that, so that they can get patients the care that they need while they're in the hospital. Um, So on that note, some of the things that we found have been effective in helping resolve this confusion are, just to restate a few things that we've said, are taking the opportunity to correct people in a way that's polite but firm. So when someone walks in and says, oh, PT is here to say, I'm actually with occupational therapy, and then maybe lead into a dialogue about how you're different. Something else that helps is being the nagger. So I've found that in the rounds meetings that I attend every day, after being there for several months and constantly saying, oh, can we get an OT consult? This person sounds like they need some occupational therapy. Gee, they live at home alone, can't take their medications, have fallen multiple times, and are medically non-compliant? I wonder which discipline would be a good fit. 
obviously I'm not saying things like that in rounds, but talking with nurses and saying, hey, if you hear that somebody lives at home alone, maybe it's an OT consult. Can you talk with them and figure out what their situation is? And I've found that it has been effective. So one of my coworkers called it a starfish story. If you've ever heard the, um, I think it's a little, not really a poem, but just a little story about how a person is walking down a beach that's covered in starfish starfishes that have washed up and they're throwing starfish into the ocean one at a time and so someone else walks up to them and says why are you doing this you're wasting your time there's hundreds of starfish you're not going to make a difference at all and so the person who's picking up one starfish at a time looks at the other person and throws starfish in the water and says I made a difference for that one so for me like Yolanda was saying it can be really exhausting dealing with these things every day of being mistaken for PT not getting a consult at the appropriate time, people not understanding what I do, things like that. But I just have to keep thinking that's one patient who I was able to meet with and talk to about driver rehab. No one else addressed vision with this person. That's one patient I was able to talk to about getting a pill pack that would allow them to keep taking their medications at home. Or even something as simple as talking to somebody about installing a rail or grab bars or getting a bedside commode or setting up their home in a way that made it safer for them to live there. So every day that I get a chance to do something is another day that I get a chance to talk to a nurse, talk to a case manager, even talk to my colleagues in physical therapy about what to look out for. So try to stay optimistic even when we're, you know, down in the trenches fighting the good fight. And I, I think you kind of brought up a couple of things um, that I wanted to touch on too, is just, you know, it, I, I think no matter what setting you're in, you know, because we're dealing with kind of medically complex people, um, whether it's in a hospital setting or in a skilled nursing facility or even in home health, you know, it's you, whether you kind of want to or not, you kind of take on a lot of the emotional, emotional um, pieces of it. And it's just, you know, it's mentally and phys mentally, physically and emotionally exhausting to kind of just day to day go through like the daily grind of being involved in the care of of, of patients that are, are medically acute or, you know, just medically complex, um, you know, and, and I think across the settings, you know, you, some shape way or not, in some, in some way or another, we've all probably have, or will kind of experience either the death of a patient or, you know, just kind of being with a patient when getting bad news or kind of just like, you know, we're, we're with these people in like probably the worst moments potentially of their lives and it's kind of hard for me at least to not um kind of kind of take that stuff on so all the other stuff the communication and the the PT and OT confusion and like all the other stuff sometimes just seems much more compounded because of how emotionally and mentally exhausting some of those other pieces of the job are so you know having that having conversations like this and, and like listening to other people talk about similar experiences for me helps because it kind of gives me, um, it just makes me feel a little bit more connected and a little bit more, I guess, optimistic and hopeful for just, just, just motivated to kind of keep going forward that like, you know, there's support and I have to, I constantly have to tell myself that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of OT and acute care. Like Yolanda saying, we see people who really are a lot of times at the lowest point in their lives, um, at the end of their lives in a lot of cases. Some people who 
are ready for it to be the end of their lives and they feel like they live their lives fully and they approach um, death and dying and the end of life with an accepting attitude. And there are other people who we see who are in their 40s or 50s who have young children at home or who were in the prime of their life until they came to the hospital and got a diagnosis of six months to live or they had a massive stroke or they're having stomach surgery and they've been in the hospital for 20 or 30 days and can't get better and can't get home. And so we're seeing these people in these situations and I think that one really important thing for occupational therapy to do in these settings is to be hopeful and to be the bearers of hope. So certainly not trying to instill any false hope in people or, you know, describing any statistics and facts about survival rates, nothing like that, but just telling somebody being there for them. Like a patient who I saw, he was an older man. Um, he was 83, I think, and I was working with him. He was there because he had a spinal surgery and there were complications and he ended up having some moderate paralysis that impaired his ability to move, walk, use his arms, use his hands. And this is a man who was completely independent two weeks before. And my session with him, my evaluation, I met him initially when he had the spinal surgery and then he ended up coming back to the hospital. And he cried. He, I held his hand while he cried and he talked to me about how he had planned for it to be a summer of celebration for him and his wife who had been married for 50 years and he had been in a car accident that summer, totaled the trailer and truck they were planning on vacationing with. Then he had the spinal cord issues that led to the surgery and then the surgical complications and he was truly at, he told me, one of the lowest points in his life and my job in that moment wasn't necessarily to focus on transfers or even him understanding what discipline I was with. It was nothing like that. It was me sitting and being with him and listening to him and just giving him an opportunity to share his sadness and to share his frustration and just to talk about it with somebody who cared. Um, and I was able to, at that time, process that with him. And then I came back the next day with a little card that I had, I keep some cards um, in our office here so that I can give to people when they leave the hospital or if they're having a rough day just to say, hey, I, you know, am thankful that I had the chance to work with you. You know, I hope you and your wife have a great anniversary and, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. So just little things like that that you can do to bring hope to people. Yeah, and I think that's something that Lauren and I have talked about a few times at this point now. And I think it's, for me, um, giving me like different perspective is that, you know, OT's role in acute care, like so it's not necessarily, can you get to the toilet? Can you get, you know, get dressed? And yes, those things are important, you know, but we, we do, I, th I think a lot of people would agree that we do kind of get boxed into this, you know, like we only do ADLs and, and, and not just for OT, but even for like PT, at least at our hospital, a lot of PT is kind of looked at as they, they just walk people and they, they just get them to the chair. And it's like, we all kind of get boxed into these these kind of roles that people just assume that we are but we have a kind of a you know a unique opportunity when they're in the hospital because something bad did just happen and either it's either it's something new that you know that that hasn't happened before or it's a complication for something that has been ongoing or you know whatever the case is so like each each interaction that we have with with people is an opportunity to kind of um, support and educate and just kind of be there with that other that this other human being like 
where they are. And I think that's something that's unique for just rehab professionals in general, not just OT, but PT and speech, because, you know, we, um, you know, we, we more or less have like the time to kind of get to know these stories. Like, you know, I'm not sure like who else may have known the story about that person that Lauren was just talking about, like, or who would have had the opportunity to be able to sit down and actually like listen to that. Cause you know, a lot of the times there's so much more going on beneath the surface than, than, you know, what we, what they come in there for. And, um, you know, as OT practitioners, it's important to kind of at least try to dive into that and kind of build that, you know, occupational profile and kind of get an idea of what they're, what's meaningful to them and what's motivating to them and what's, you know, what barriers there are. And a lot of the times, um, acute care isn't exactly the setting to kind of really promote doing, I guess, you know, doing, doing things to the level of which that I guess we would, if we had all the time in the world on that, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it can be tough. Like I talked about earlier, the time constraints, but you know, again, like Yolanda was saying, it's not just about the physical aspects of our job. So acute care is one of the more, I think, physically demanding settings and certainly, you know, high stress, high energy setting for sure, but also really an opportunity to just connect with people on another level who are having a change in their life, whether it was, you know, a planned orthopedic surgery or an unplanned, you know, injury or um, stroke that happened with somebody. So, I'll, you know, just wrap up our podcast here by saying that being an OT in acute care is a pretty huge responsibility. There's a lot that goes on, a lot that we can cover, you know, that we work with patients on. And I don't think this will be the last time that we talk about this topic um, just because it's where we work now. And it gives rise to a lot of other issues, professional and in this particular setting. Um, Yolanda, any parting words? Um, I don't think so. I, I hope that um, we can continue to, to have these conversations and hopefully we'll get some feedback from from folks on what kind of topics you would want to hear from. We certainly have our kind of hot buttons that we'll probably be talking about. And like Lauren said, we will probably talk a lot more along the way just about, you know, OT and acute care just because um, – Every day seems to bring bring up new and different challenges that Another uh, adventure. that kind of spur conver- conversation. So um, I think I guess you know takeaways for for me for this would just to be to you know think outside the box. Um, you know, even if it takes a little extra time, you know, really looking at the person in front of you as a human being and remembering that you know there's. You, there's there's more that you can do for them, likely more that you can do for them than just um, kind of making sure that they can get to the toilet and getting dressed and things like that. And yes, address that. That's like you know your bare minimum kind of um, you know kind of basic thing to kind of get people back to are those kind of activities of daily living. But you know what else? What else could we do? And maybe what else? could you educate other people on and how else can you, you know, bring occupational therapy to light, whether it's just saying the word occupational therapy over and over again to really emphasize that we are a different discipline than physical therapy, um, you know, and just finding those um, moments, making connections and relationships with your teammates, whether they're OT, PT, or speech to kind of create some camaraderie and, and team um, team building within within your job because I mean that support is is huge to kind of getting through the day to day, and you know 
working on your communication, you know, and being uncomfortable, kind of having difficult conversations. And, and if you don't know how to have those conversations, talk to people that you are comfortable with about like how you could potentially go about doing those, going with those conversations because, you know, um, you can be uncomfortable or you can keep dealing with all the, the junk, but now I'm rambling. So, um, <laughs> and that, that usually means it's time, time to stop. So we hope that you enjoyed our first episode. Um, and hopefully we'll have many more. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Signing off. Good luck out there.